Hello, Hyrock. Welcome to our daily devotional. We're continuing with our walk through uh, the book of Exodus, and Taylor is with us today. And so we're in chapter 24, verses 1 through 18, and chapter 31, verse 18, which kind of closes out this section. Taylor, if you'd read that for us, that would be uh, wonderful. Yeah, let's, uh, let's read the word of the Lord together. Then the Lord instructed Moses, Come up here to me and bring along Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of Israel's elders. All of you must worship from a distance. Only Moses is allowed to come near to the Lord. The others must not come near, and none of the other people are allowed to climb up the mountain with him. Then Moses went down to the people and repeated all the instructions and regulations the Lord had given him. All the people answered with one voice, We will do everything. The Lord has commanded. Then Moses carefully wrote down all the Lord's instructions. Early the next morning, Moses got up and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. He also set up 12 pillars, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent some of the young Israelite men to present burnt offerings and to sacrifice bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses drained half the blood from these animals into basins. The other half he splattered against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it aloud to the people. Again, they all responded, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. Then Moses took the blood from the basins and splattered it over the people, declaring, look, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. Then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel climbed up the mountain. There they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet, there seemed to be a surface of brilliant blue lapis lazuli as clear as the sky itself. And though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain." Stay there, and I will give you the tablets of stone on which I have inscribed the instructions and commands, so you can teach the people. So Moses and his assistant Joshua set out, and Moses climbed up the mountain of God. Moses told the elders, Stay here and wait for us until we come back. Aaron and Hur are here with you. If anyone has a dispute while I am gone, consult with them. Then Moses climbed up the mountain and the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled down on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from inside the cloud. To the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, the glory of the Lord appeared at the summit like a consuming fire. Then Moses disappeared into the cloud as he climbed higher up the mountain. He remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And continuing here in chapter 31, verse 18. When the Lord finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, written by the finger of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a long passage and there is so much in it. Whenever we get into the kind of the symbols in, incorporated into the Old Testament, I want to spend a lot of time with it, but I know we have to move quickly. So I'm just going to highlight a few things, well, more than a few things, but I'm going to highlight some things here that really speak to this whole thing being a covenant ratification ceremony. And this would be something that ancient audience, audiences would immediately 
recognize. First of all, in verse one, we see that there's the 70 elders plus Moses plus Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and and Nadab and Abihu are, are Aaron's sons. And these are people who all have a part of the spirit that has been placed onto Moses. Not everyone was given the spirit at this time. The universal giving of the spirit isn't until the New Testament. But here these special people are, are so equipped. And so they represent all the people and they're going to be gathering on the mountain to meet the Lord. And then in verse four, we have the writing down of the words of the Lord. Uh, one thing here is that there are these 12 pillars that are set up in this place. And so that represents the 12 tribes of Israel. So there, so not only are the elders who represent the Israelites here, but there's also these stone pillars to represent the presence of the Israelites. And then we have uh, the blood placed on the altar. Blood represents life. It belongs to God. But also blood is a norm for covenants. It's not present in every covenant, but it's, it's quite common in covenants. And one of the main reasons why is because covenants create a blood relationship where there was none. You'll never see a covenant where it's between two blood relatives because they're already bonded by blood. They're already family. But you will see covenants between people who are not blood related, especially in the case of marriage, where you are creating, in essence, a, a symbolic blood relationship where there was none in the first place. The primary purpose here seems to be the making of a family of God. Then in verse seven, we have the uh, the book of the covenant being read aloud and everyone making this bold, optimistic promise to do all that it says. And there's this public reading of this book of the covenant. And actually, this was uh, part of the normal conditions of a covenant. Uh, usually each person in a covenant would keep a copy of the covenant. And there was a requirement every seven years to bring out the covenant and read it aloud and everybody to reaffirm it. Uh, and this is actually, interestingly, interestingly enough, the reason why there is a three year lectionary reading cycle. Like if you attend a traditional church that has that uh, uses the lectionary, in the span of three years, you will have covered the entirety of scripture or just about. And this comes out of the Jewish custom of doing the same thing, that the entire Torah would be read to you in little bits by, by attending synagogue every uh, Sabbath. And the reason why it was once every, uh, well, it was a three-year cycle. That way, in a span of seven years, you would have had two opportunities to hear every section. So if you were sick one week and you missed it, you would catch it on the second go-round. But that way, everyone would publicly hear the reading of the covenant over that span of, of seven years. And then we have the sprinkling of the blood on the people. Now, this is kind of a, a gruesome image to a modern audience. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, and this is actually unusual even in the Old Testament. Um, there is only one other instance where we have this kind of sprinkling of the blood on people. And this is um, where we see Aaron, the ordination of Aaron and his sons as priests in Leviticus 8. And it marks them as God's own and as kind of entering into a special office. And so the sprinkling of, God, of the blood on the people might actually be a pointer to the fact that it was God's original intention that this would be a kingdom of priests and believers, that this entire nation would stand as God's representatives and, and the givers of, of, of grace uh, to the people. And then in verse 10, we see that uh, they get to experience uh, God's presence. And this is normally something that is a very dangerous thing. Not everyone can experience God's presence directly. Um, but in the, in the context of a covenant, it's appropriate that God is there. And then there's this covenant meal that is shared, which is also very common for the covenant that now you're a family, now you're blood related. Now you have this meal to kind of seal the deal, kind of like being at a wedding and having the reception afterwards. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, for the Jews, Jewish people, this was especially true of the Passover meal. This kind of helped reaffirm and ratify the covenant for Christians. It's the weekly 
uh, communion, which used to be a much a bigger affair rather than the little bit of bread and, and wine. Um, but uh, that is what it is. Then verse 10, another thing here, this interesting thing, this lapis lazuli uh, or lazuli, there's also, it could be translated as sapphire. Basically, it's a blue gemstone. They're not sure what it is, but it seems that sapphires didn't exist in this time. And so there's the lapis lazuli that comes from Afghanistan. That was probably it. But the most important thing about it is that this is a representation of heaven or in the ancient cosmology, specifically the middle heaven, just like the sky is blue. And so this is, you know, the highest heaven is where is God's abode alone. So God is descending here into this middle heaven where we are welcomed in. That's kind of the symbology of this blue when you see it in temple constructs and whatnot. And then finally, in verse 12, we've got the stone tablets. Uh, traditionally, this is the Ten Commandments written on front and back of each tablet. Probably each tablet had uh, all Ten Commands written on it. It's, uh, so two identical copies rather than five on one and five on the other. And this was pretty typical. Like, so if a king would make a, a covenant with um, a vassal king or an underling, uh, each of them would have a copy of the covenant. But because God is dwelling with the people, both copies are kept together in later on the Ark of the Covenant. Um, and then it's 40 days and 40 nights. There's interesting meaning to 40 days and 40 nights. You can probably just think of it as kind of like the uh, a symbol of completeness. There's reigning for 40 days and 40 nights. There's the uh, generation is 40 years. Anyway, uh, we don't have time to go into that. And then Moses at the end here in chapter 31 returns with the two tablets. Um, and these are the instructions that the people had first already um, God had spoken them to, the, to them directly. Now they're being given these two copies that are written by the finger of God. And, you know, this is God has acted graciously towards them. And, and now they, this is how they are then to live. So this is really in all these different facets is a covenant ratifying ceremony. But what I think is really interesting is it's also a, it's also really like the first worship service. It has all the elements of a worship service. Even a modern worship service typically tends to have all these elements that first of all, there is this call to worship, um, where they're, they're called to enter into the holy place to meet with God. And then there is the reading of God's word. And then there is the confession of faith where they all respond. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. And then finally, there's this sharing of the sacramental meal. And, and so really, this is, I think, the Bible's first worship service. And again, even today, all our, our typical worship services have all of these different elements. And, and seeing these two placed alongside each other, the, the covenant ratification and a worship service, leads me to believe that really what a worship service is, it is to meet with God in order to reaffirm, to remember and reaffirm the covenant that God has made with us, to remember the promises and to remember the remember what we are called to do in, to, in living in response to God's gracious promises to us. So anyway, that's uh, some of what I see in this passage. I wish we had like another hour to go through some of the symbols, but uh, that's what I see here. And uh, Taylor, I've left you hardly any time, so I'm wondering what you see as well. That's okay. I'll be brief. You know, uh, this is a serious passage, but whenever I read it, I can't help but think of something humorous which is an infamous uh, scene in an old comedy called The History of the World by <laughs> Mel Brooks, where Moses comes down the mountain with three tablets with five commandments on it each and says, behold, these 15 commandments. And then one drops and breaks and he says, behold, these 10 commandments. <laughs> Anyways, just needed to give a little plug to that, that movie because it's, it's hilarious. Um, I, I remember that scene well. As soon as you said it, I was like, all right, I know where this is going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> always, always good for a good giggle. Um, but on a more serious note, you know, uh, what we have here is sort of a, a we have a, a, 
a re a reinvitation by God to draw back into proximity with God. You know, in the Garden of Eden, we see that sin enters the world, and therefore God is no longer able to be as proximate to humanity because of human sin. And we see that it is through a sacrificing, an atoning sacrifice that God is able to draw near to humanity. And so I, again, and so I would, what, what just leaps off the page in this for me is how similar this is to communion, uh, how similar this is to what we see in the New Testament with Jesus's sacrifice. We see that the interweaving of God's proximity, our recommitment and obedience we see sacrifice, we see grace, we see holiness, uh, we see community together. Uh, communion is often taken in a liturgical context with many people present. I mean, like we could spend all day just kind of finding all these parallels and all these tie-ins. And so for me, what I, I take from this is, is great comfort that the God of the Old Testament is the same God revealed in Jesus. This is the same God we worship today. And this is the God whose body and blood is broken and shed for us. And this is the same God who is for us today, calling us to live in proximity with him, just as God called his people to live in proximity and to worship him uh, all these years ago in this Exodus story. And so um, from this, I take great invitation and great comfort uh, to see the steadfastness and the longevity and the consistency of God throughout history. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I'd love to comment further, but I don't want to add another three minutes to our devotional. So Taylor, I'm wondering if you would be willing to close us in prayer. I'd love to. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you desire deeply to be close to us and that you are indeed with us right now. Would you inspire us to reach back out to you, to acknowledge your presence to affirm our commitment to live in obedience with you and to know the beauty and the goodness of walking in your righteous path. May we experience all this as good news today. And all this we pray in the holy name of the God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Taylor. Thank you, everyone, for joining with us. I hope this was uh, beneficial to you. And um, I hope that at least, if nothing else, you come away with a, an appreciation, perhaps a greater appreciation for how we are a part of a people with a rich and long history with the God of creation. Go in peace. <laughs>